I was a first year resident and it was about March and it was really the land of unknown. If I had walked into a room and I was afraid if I didn't have a, a good seal on my N95 on my face, was I going to be a goner in four weeks? Every night I would check my temperature and make sure I didn't have a fever. And if I did, what does that mean? And, and who did I expose in, in, the, in the meantime? Welcome to Gente and Health, a podcast by the Center for the Study of Latino Health and Culture. I'm the center's director, Dr. David Hayes Bautista, the old Chicano professor. This podcast is an extension of the research we have been a part of for many years. Join us as we discuss the state of Latinos and as we unearth the voices of gente and health. The COVID-19 pandemic has had an unprecedented impact on the lives of our healthcare workers for over a year now. As hospitals reached and then went beyond capacity during this past year, in an attempt to treat critically ill patients with COVID-19 illness, doctors and residents alike have had to adapt to their situation beyond what could have ever been asked of them. Today, Elias Rodriguez, research assistant at CESLAC and the producer of today's podcast, introduces us to a few frontline experiences of resident doctors and shows us a glimpse of what life as a resident has looked like and how these residents have endured El año del COVID. You met Dr. Amanda earlier, an internal medicine resident at a small community hospital in northern New Jersey. Her and her husband met in medical school in Mexico, and after graduating, had their son. Today, Dr. Amanda is in her second year of residency for internal medicine. In a nutshell, it's work, sleep, repeat. We we both wake up. We we share a cup of coffee at the at the at the kitchen table. We we leave around the same time. I have 12 to 13 hour shifts, six days a week right now. And his shift is similar depending on the, the rotation, whether we're in elective or not. She would come home to squeeze in a family dinner before beginning her nightly routine with their son, sleep, then repeat. How do the yeah. days off look like? Uh, typically, um, we have a four to one rotation schedule. So four weeks, I'll either be on the floors, followed by a week of ambulatory, or I have uh, four weeks of ICU or CCU, followed by a week of ambulatory. And it's intermixed with electives that are come in two weeks rotations. Um, while I'm on the floors or um, in the critical care unit, I do get one day. And that one day is on the weekend. So I'll either have um, a Saturday or a Sunday off. Do you get to sleep all day on your day off? I wish. No, my body automatically wakes up at 4 a.m. every single day, whether I have the day off. And um, so if I, you know, I do, you know, try to go back to sleep, but more, more times than not, I'll just get up and do my, my morning routine, have my cup of coffee, and then I'll, I'll read. I'll read on my day off or I'll study until my boy wakes up. And then I try and spend most of my time, my, my time with him or I get him a coloring book and he'll, you know, act like he's working too while I'm studying next to him. I try to take full advantage of my one day off to sit home and study because I still have a step three to, to take. And ultimately I have my internal medicine boards to take at the completion of my residency program. I interviewed Dr. Amanda in November of 2020. This was right before the winter surges of the COVID-19 pandemic but after the first surges at its inception. Having just got through the first surge, it seemed she was almost unfazed by the pandemic. So I asked her, 
did COVID-19 make you feel a certain way? Given she was in the middle of her first residency year when the pandemic would change all of our lives forever. In regards to my days involving COVID, I can tell you how I feel and how I react to it today is very different than how it all began. I was a first year resident and it was about March and it was really the land of unknown. If I had walked into a room and I was afraid if I didn't have a, a good seal on my N95 on my face, was I going to be a goner in four weeks? Uh, every night I would check my temperature and make sure I didn't have a fever. And if I did, what does that mean? And, and who did I expose in, in, the, in the meantime? What was different now than before the pandemic? Prior to the pandemic, there were mystery diagnoses. If I didn't know how to start a treatment regimen, you know, it was only my first year of residency and in my particular program, we didn't have senior residents because our program is actually new. So I could only rely on what I knew and, you know, reaching out to an attending. So there were times, like I said, pre-COVID that I was scared because I, I didn't want to not have the knowledge to help somebody with something that wasn't probably as grim as I had anticipated, you know, as I, as I would have thought it was. Pre-COVID, Dr. Amanda was focused on her performance as a doctor in general, but now the novel coronavirus looms over her experience as a resident. My husband's in it too, and so are we bringing it home to our boy, and that just brings it to a completely different realm of fear and then I have elderly parents and I can't see them and they're concerned for me and I worry about their worry, which is just the whole domino effect of, of this newfound fear that we never had before. Wow. Can you tell me more about how your residency training and experience changed from the onset of the pandemic? Beginning my residency program, we, we were very uh, disciplined when it came to academics. We had a morning report, we had a noon lecture, we had daily um, uh, rounds, sometimes twice a day. We had end of month exams just to you know, see how we are you know, progressing. And then during COVID, morning lecture, noon report, electives, ambulatory service, they were all, they were all cut. And we were all pulled in and we were distributed and we were all distributed amongst the, the, the critical care unit and, and the floors. Eventually we were put on four days on and three days off to minimize exposure. So at that time, the academic trajectory was actually, uh, you know, how, how, how soon can we get that aspect back? And then, then we started incorporating blue jeans and Zoom meetings which then, you know, made us more confident, uh, the confidence in our program returned and, far, and, and as far as our academics are concerned. That's right. Just as colleges, universities, and K-12 schools experienced a hiccup in in-person education, so did some of our doctors in their residency programs. Zoom and video conferencing, however, would come to ensure academic continuity, including for resident doctors. Eventually, our, you know, we were able to return to our morning report, noon lecture, get back on our ambulatory service, get back on our electives. But now that we've been there, we know how we can proceed if it were to return. We may not have known it then, but the surges did return. Dr. Amanda, however, was optimistic that she would be prepared to handle the next surge and remained confident in her training and performance. I would like to 
think it's sort of similar to when children have a snow day. Now they can't because now they have these, these applications at our fingertips where we can still have a, you know, virtual learning. Now I want to introduce the second doctor I interviewed, Dr. Miti Del Rosario, David Geffen School of Medicine at UCLA alumna and first year intern at the UCSF Primary Care General Internal Medicine Track Residency Program. She was also a part of our center's medical education pipeline program, MedPEP. As she enters her first year in the middle of a pandemic, she gives us an interesting perspective. I interviewed Dr. Miti in February, 2021. You started your program around May, June? That's correct. So I, I did start my program uh, right in the middle of the start of the pandemic. And how, and how was that going into your first, your first intern year like that? I think, uh, I mean, it's, it's challenging, I'm sure, regardless of whether or not you're going in to intern year um, in a pandemic or not. But I think the thing there there were other challenges that it that it posed in, in starting residency. I think um, one there was already that you know sort of sadness and loss in terms of you know the way that my medical school ended. You know we had a virtual graduation. I had a virtual match day. Um, you know there was a lot of fear of like what is this going to look like when we when we go into training? How much worse is this? Um, is this pandemic going to get, how is that going to look like? You know, as a, as a fourth year medical student, um, when I was interviewing for residency, we had the opportunity to fly out at that time, fly out to all of the different programs that we were interested in going to and where we had interviews and seeing how, um, you know, those social activities uh, take place in all of those different programs. And, uh, you know, we were able to have dinner with uh, the residents at these programs, um, grab lunch with them. Uh, you have kind of, you have all of these didactics, either for morning um, didactics or lunch didactics that you still have in residency where you get to, you know, be in a group of maybe 30 of your co-interns, co-residents. And, you just have those like little moments to bond with other people. And so I sort of ex like I originally expected to go into residency with that in mind. I thought I would be hanging out with people over breakfast, hanging out with people over lunch. I thought we would be um, having all these classes together. I thought we would be having dinners together after we would leave at night. You know, you have a really hard inpatient day um, maybe, you know, again, some difficult things might have happened over the course of the day that you want to talk about with folks and you would have those opportunities to do that at night. And instead, you know, it, it's just more limited. I log in to didactics over Zoom. Um, when we eat, there's limited spaces where we can eat. We have to go outside. Um, sometimes like weeks might pass where I don't know what my colleagues look like underneath their masks. And then they finally take off their mask when we eat for the first time together outdoors. And it's the, so those kinds of things, I feel like those were, again, things that I was excited to have in residency, more of those opportunities to bond with people, you know, I, and residency is quite a bonding experience because you're sort of in the thick of, you know, really 
you know, challenging days with this group of people every day. And it's nice to be able to see each other in person and to be able to, you know, talk about what's happening and to develop those relationships. And when we started residency, our virtual or all of our learning experiences where we would have had that opportunity to initially bond were virtual. Dr. Mithi would expect the video conferencing, but clearly feels like she missed out on some aspects of the residency experience. However, she remains very optimistic as well. That said, you know, I think I still have been able to develop those relationships with many folks just because, again, you're sort of in the thick of it in the moment, you know, we are seeing each other in person when on the daily basis, we're actually in the hospital together. Um, so I've had that time and those opportunities for those relationships to form with some of my cohort, just not with everyone, since, again, most of our learning is now virtual and those in-person activities, um, you know, have just all shifted to that space. I started noticing something very different here with what Dr. Miti was sharing of her experience from that of Dr. Amanda's. Dr. Amanda shared how as the pandemic was developing, she and her co-residents dealt with COVID-19 front and center, at least until case rates fell and allowed academics and a more conventional training to return. When, you know, I started my training at UCSF, the numbers of patients with COVID-19 in the city were low enough that they could actually shunt all of those patients to faculty and, you know, protect residents and protect interns from taking care of them. That way we could focus on getting a diverse, uh, diverse types of patient problems and experiences. Wow, that's amazing. You know, as, as an internal medicine residency training program, all of the programs in the country are, are required to give us a diverse set of patient experiences. Um, that way we're all well-rounded physicians. We should be seeing patients who have heart failure and COPD and GI bleeds. There's certain things that we're all just supposed to see so that we can learn and build on those clinical experiences. COVID-19, while it's you know, ravaging the world right now, it's very protocolized how you take care of a patient with COVID-19. And if you're only taking care of COVID-19 patients, you know, patients who don't have any other problems besides COVID-19, um, it's not as rich of a learning experience as it would be if you were taking on patients with other problems. So as the numbers continued to rise, um, in, and particularly during the surge over the winter break, um, our residency could no longer shunt all of the patients to faculty with COVID-19 um, and had actually opened it up so that uh, as interns, we can now start seeing patients with COVID-19 in addition to all of the other like wide array of medical problems that you can see. So again, that was highly dependent on what is that's highly dependent on what's happening in San Francisco. And I'm sure in other places, you know, if your numbers of COVID-19 are extremely high, 
then your residency program may not afford the ability to, to sort of protect you from seeing those patients. And unfortunately, I think that 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 is happening in a lot of places where you might, you know, again, if the COVID-19 numbers are high, you just need all hands on deck. Dr. Miti was right. Recall what Dr. Amanda shared earlier. Being a resident during the start of the pandemic in a smaller hospital program in a hard-hit area, which led to her all-hands-on-deck experience. Let us go back to Dr. Amanda as she shares one of her early COVID-19 patient encounters and how her COVID experience evolves. Like I mentioned before, the, the, the actual fear and the anxiety that comes you know, that comes about when you're approaching the the closed room of a patient who has COVID-19. Um, in the beginning is, is, uh, it was, it was, it was, it was scary. And I could probably tell you a few stories, but I, I remember specifically one of the first patients that we had ever intubated, um, had a difficult time um, undergoing sedation. And I remember we were leaving the room one at a time and undressing the PPE and you know putting it and washing the hands. And it was this whole entire protocol. We were being monitored by people outside the room and making sure everybody was you know dancing the right steps. So I remember I was the last one in the room and um, I turned around and he was reaching for his endotracheal tube. And I, I knew for, for certain he was gonna extubate himself. And so I, I ran on, on top and I like laid my arms across him and tried to hold his arms down. And he was, a, he was a strong man. And I just thought, oh my gosh, I am really, really, really close right now. And I remember days after, even weeks after that encounter with my, 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 my first physical inner interaction with a COVID positive patient, I was, I was absolutely scared. I didn't want to breathe on my family members. I walked around my, my son with an N95 on. And I think from that experience and with the, the growing amount of patients that were entering our critical care unit, um, we just never took off our N95s inside the critical care unit. So, and when we did, it was another whole routine. And then what do we do with our masks? And then we were putting them in, in paper bags because PPE was limited. And then you have to wash your hands. And so at, at some point you just stop taking off your, your N95 and you, you just change the outer mask. And so then there's comes lunchtime and you're like, well, I don't really want to touch my mask. So, and then you skip lunch. And then <laughs> months later, you know, you just looking a little thinner and other people are looking a little thinner. And, and that comes with that worried sick feeling too. Um, you're worried about the patient, you're worried about your health, your own health, the safety of your family. And then the worst part was for me in particular was the family calls. So, uh, and now that uh, we have a few patients coming back at this time of year with who are uh, COVID positive, when I pick up that phone and I have to make the family calls, it does bring me back to the several phone calls that I made daily back then. And it, 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 it's not any easier. And that's the, and that's the one part that is not any easier um, is talking to the, the family members of the, 
of the people with COVID pneumonia. So, um, but other than that, the fear of walking into these rooms has lessened. I'm okay with taking off my mask and having lunch now. It's, you know, like I said, it's the evolution of, of exposure, I guess, and dealing with it as it comes. We'll be right back. Let's stay with Dr. Amanda for a bit more. Dr. Amanda had made a prior agreement with her husband in residency as well, that in entering this new life, they would try to keep work at work and support each other in other ways. However, the moments when work did spill over for Dr. Amanda and her husband are worth noting. So then, I mean, you mentioned that, that both you and your husband have agreed, you know, work stays at work. Um, do you ever feel like work does spill over then? Oh yeah, I mean, we both do it. Um, something unique or um, something that was extremely difficult. We we do we do pillow talk. We you know we try to let it out somehow with one another. But it it depends. You know, it depends on it. Really depends on what it is. I don't want to. And I think he feels the same. We don't want to keep saying the same stories over and over again. Another thing is that we're both studying for our boards. And if we find something that's um, academically appealing, we'll share that with one another as well. Um, so that's, you know, that's the other end of the spectrum, the, the positive part of this. It's like, oh, today, you know, I didn't see COVID. I saw this. So let me tell you, and we, you know, we talk about it and it's neat because if, if I can help him when he sees that type of patient in the future and vice versa, and that's a good thing. Let's rewind that real quick. Oh, today, you know, I didn't see COVID. I saw this. So let me tell you. And we, oh, you know, I didn't see COVID today. The surge in their area was that great. I could only wonder, did she feel like COVID-19 took over her studying and medical training? I mean, it's gotten better, of course. Um, because at the time, at, during, during the pandemic, and when all my patients had COVID, it was seldom we saw anything else. It was quite interesting. We would even goof and ask, where are all the urinary tract infections? Where are all of the acute exacerbations of COPD and CHF? Where, where, where's all the myocardial infarctions? It was, it was a kind of like a, a joke. Like, where's the other pathology out there? Everyone's staying home. They're so scared. They're not coming in for even those. Um, so when everything started to relax, I guess, not so much uh, COVID, patient, COVID patients in the critical care unit, we would slowly but surely get, you know, new things or old things that we once saw and were seeing again. So I asked if she felt prepared for her boards. I, in fact, I said, uh, I, I hope that my test is full of COVID-19 questions because I'm going to ace it. <laughs> but yeah, I think that the, the path out, you know, us um, encountering so much COVID and not other pathology, I think it may, I think it may have in, um, had some sort of impact on our, on our preparation for our boards, but we still had the resources and, you know, it was only a short time before we got into virtual learning through our residency programs. Ultimately, Dr. Amanda does feel ready for her boards. We still see why it's worth being a doctor and studying for so long. 
Yeah, feeling needed was really nice too, especially during, especially as a first year resident. You know, the the attendings were so stretched thin with the the amount of patients they had to see a day. We just felt so useful to not only our attendings but to the care team in, in, in its entirety. So feeling useful boosted our morale as a resident. You know the the camaraderie that we that we developed with our with the care team in the process um and you know we always will have this experience looking you know looking back i'm sure you know it, it's going to make us i'm certain it's going to make us um you know a different type of decision in the beginning where you know we had this this struggle in the beginning and uh we'll, we won't forget it as we learned from both dr amanda and dr miti Residency poses its challenges, even in a year where a pandemic is not interfering with the quotidian life of a resident doctor. El año del COVID did a number across the world, and doctors had varying experiences. However, in the end, they persevered and continue to do so. To wrap up our interviews, I allowed them to reflect on their experience, share any advice, and what they foresee at the end of this pandemic and their training. Another thing is that these nurses and respiratory therapists, especially, are outstanding. They are, they are the heroes going in their rooms constantly, in and out, in and out, during the land of unknown and during present day. It's, it's, it's they who need to be applauded. And I see how, how they cope and they were an inspiration. They were my strength. I know right now, a lot of first year residents um, in this area in particular didn't really get a good clinical experience during their fourth year in medical school because it was taken from them because of the pandemic. And so I see with our own first years, their, their, uh, their hesitancy and a bit of anxiety. And so um, I feel that my co-residents and I have been very, uh, very, open with them and telling them, you know, our experiences and sharing our stories and, and our fears and preoccupations. And we try to offer reassurance to them as often as we can. And uh, we even offer for them not to go in the rooms yet and let us do it. And you just watch me. And then, you know, when you feel comfortable, you can enter the room. And so I, I don't know if I have advice other than I think you should just only do what you're, what you feel comfortable with. I don't think that you should shy away from vocalizing if you're anxious or have preoccupations because we all were there at one time. And so it, it would only be right for a program to listen to their, their new residents or their students and um, respect if they have a fear. Like I said, these patients have a complete care team and um, we, the, the students and the, uh, the residents, we can all learn, you know, hands-on or hands-off. It's, I think, you know, they shouldn't, they shouldn't worry. That's all when it comes, when it, when it, when it boils down to that perspective. If I had been an intern without COVID-19, I, I, I certainly would have worked as hard However, you know, would I maybe have had fewer hard days? I don't know. I, 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 really, I really don't know. Maybe I would have had, again, I mean, I would have been able to go home for Christmas. I would have been able to go home for Thanksgiving. I would have, 
had, you know, more opportunities to spend time with people and, you know, get to know my cohort better. But I am certainly working hard. <laughs> I'm So I'm not so personally nervous because one, I'm vaccinated. I've gotten both of my shots. And two, I always go in wearing my N95 mask, as well as a surgical mask, as well as a face shield. If you're going into medicine, even without COVID-19, we take a lot of personal risk on a daily basis. I, I guess like I'm, again, mentally prepared for that and willingly taking on those risks. I think in healthcare, everyone who is doing this work willingly takes on those risks. And this attending physician was telling me that they lived at home with their partner, their children, and also older family members that were staying with them. There was that fear of, okay, I'm walking around seeing 20 COVID-19 positive patients every single day, and I'm coming home and I'm bringing that exposure and that risk to my children, to my partner, and my you know, parents or you know, people that I love who are older and who are higher risk. And I was just kind of, wow, right? Like the risks that I'm um, bearing, I bring home and I could potentially expose my husband. You, you, again, it's just like all of this potential for collateral damage if you were to get infected and if you were to bring it home. But I think I was just really again, like just sad by um, and, and impressed and grateful that this person was doing this work, but also just, you know, concerned that, wow, this is not just a risk that we take, but it's a risk that we're bringing back home. So we just do what we can to minimize them. And that is what reassures me. I got the vaccine. I wear my PPE. And I can go into a patient room knowing that I have those levels of protection around me. My strongest advice, though, is to take care of yourself and 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 don't uh, get numb to the situation. And I strongly advise to wear a mask. And if you're going into a COVID positive room, to wear the proper PPE and you know, do that dance I was talking about earlier. It's so important for the health of you, your family, your co your, your, your team. And so um, that would be, you know, something I would strongly advise is, you know, keep yourself safe and keep the, the ones around you safe as well. I, I just hope that, you know, I mean, we're, we're in a politically challenging time, just in terms of the, the deep divide in the country. And also a lot of those divisions seem to play out in how we're responding to what's happening with the pandemic. I would say my big hope is that we all listen to each other and that we don't take each other for granted that we you know do the things that we need to do to keep our community safe that we listen to our, our leaders in medicine in terms of you know what steps we need to take to keep more people safe and to keep more people alive and i think this the my experiences uh in in medicine, again, you just see so much suffering and so much pain on a daily basis. And you see how the system can fail in, in so many ways, our patients and 
at the same time, seeing all these incredible people who are going to advocate for their patients, you know, I, I could sit here and focus on all of the challenges and then all of the pain and on, again, all of the system failures that we see on the daily. <laughs> But I try to focus on what is my role? What can I do you know, to be a better advocate in this system for my patient? And also focus on looking at the people who are around me who are doing this type of work. And that's where I take my lessons from. And that's where I spend my focus. What are the next steps? How do we make it better? That's all for this week. I'm your host, David Hayes Bautista, the old Chicano professor. Thank you all for listening, and please remember to subscribe if you haven't done so already. This episode was written and produced by Elias Rodriguez. Gente and Health is also produced by Giselle Hernandez and Brandy Lopez. Our executive producers are Adriana Valdez and Seda Santiso Greenwood. Music this week was by Mariachi de Uclatlan. Tune in for the next episode as we delve further into topics of Latino culture, gente, and health.